Welcome to the Culture Matters podcast, episode number four. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Today, my guest is the British-born Richard Hill, currently living in Belgium, in Brussels. He's the author of We Europeans, Euro Managers and Martians, The Art of Being Belgian, Great Britain and Little England, and many other books. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's a bit early in the day to be sure, but I think I'm well. Yeah, it's uh, the recording date of this uh, of this Culture Matter podcast is February 19. It's a Tuesday, and uh, the time, the local time that we both share, Richard and I, is six minutes past ten in the morning. So to us, to each other, it's a good morning. But for those of you who are listening in the future, it could be uh, any time of the day, really. So we don't know when when uh, the audience is listening, and, and definitely they can't listen live because this is a recording. There you go, um, Richard, or Richard Hill. You're British. That's right. Yeah, um, and that's always scary to say. You're British. You're not English. You're you're not a Great Britain. How do you? Because you know a lot about the Brits, and you know a lot a lot about the people uh, around you currently. Those are the Belgians. So maybe you should introduce yourself a little bit. Like, who are you? Where uh, Where do you come from in terms of, of culture? And where do you um, currently reside? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, this is a good place to start because um, we tend to talk in terms of Brits, Dutch, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. in the what, whatever. And... Um, we really should look at cultures, in my experience, in terms of regions, areas, even communities, individual communities. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are different ways of looking at culture in terms of gender, in terms of education, and so on. So it's pretty complicated. But in my case, it's, it's fairly simple to start with. I am English. Um, I have no Celtic blood at all, uh, yeah. although we don't really need to talk about Celtic because genetics is now showing that um, the reality is, is remarkably different. I mean, the British think that they are um, descended from the Anglo-Saxons, essentially, yeah. but they're not. Um, they are on, on recent uh, genetic research from, from this recent, most recent work. Mm-hmm. It appears that our genes are basically somewhere from the Iberian Peninsula, and we may well be linked with the Basques genetically. Do, do the Brits know this? Uh, no, of course not. And the Britons, Brits wouldn't want to know it either. Are you keeping it a secret um, or is this something that people just um, No, I have, I have talked about it at times, but, yeah. um, you know, it's always challenged because they say, what sort of genetic research and how do you know that? And, I, of course, I can't do anything to uh, justify what, what I'm saying, but I happen to know that uh, that uh, there is a great deal of myth-making in the British uh, uh, culture as in all cultures, but particularly in the British culture, and as you probably realise, the reluctance to stay in the European Union, there is also a tendency um, to dislike anything that 
that comes from anywhere else. I mean, there's, we're an island people, so this is yeah. perhaps not surprising. Yeah. But um, I'm, I, I'm English, um, and if I was born in one place and grew up in a number of other places in the United Kingdom yeah. before I came to Belgium in 1967. And um, by that time, I had already acquired an interest um, in uh, different cultures and the way they behaved and thought. Or thought and behaved, yeah. um, and this was partly prompted by my natural curiosities, uh, partly by the fact that my my father was uh, working internationally before the Second World War, mm -hmm. and he would come back from places where, by which time I was already um, up and alive and kicking, and uh, he would come back with stories about from Italy, from Spain, from Germany. Uh, Austria and so on, and I found this all very fascinating. It, it um, made me naturally curious, yeah. which is an important quality, of course, if you're working in the intercultural field. You have Absolutely. to be curious yeah. and keep your opinions to yourself too. Yeah. And um, anyway, that and then finally – I was working in London and I was um, working uh, there as an interpreter and a, um, a um, minute taker mm -hmm. um, or, or reporter, rapporteur uh, for a British organization. And we were negotiating with um, a French group, quite uh -huh. a very important French group. And at one moment during the proceedings, the which often happens in negotiations, it was decided to have a, a break mm -hmm. and sort of recharge our batteries. And I was there as the interpreter in case there was any problem in, in commu com communicating between the French and the, and the British. Yeah. And uh, I was standing in a corner and the two French people came up right next to me and started discussing their, their planned strategy for the rest of the meeting. In French? Uh, in, in French, yes, and knowing full well that I was a French speaker, but it didn't matter. They just did that. And I thought that taught me something. I wasn't quite sure what, but about the French, <laughs> that they um, are so self-absorbed that they don't think about things like that. And, of course, I heard all that they were planning for their strategy, and I immediately went back to the people who had hired me mm -hmm. as interpreter and told them what the French were going to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they, all these sort of things eventually. And effectively, they did that as well. They did it, yes. <laughs> they just they did that. They just stood, 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 stood there in the corner where I was, I was um, taking a coffee, I think, and uh, began to discuss their strategy Excellent. in front of me. Yeah, yeah. it does, is known to happen. Did, did I mean, you ever so, find out why they did that? Just and well, um, there's a German. Uh, I think he's a politician. Yeah, yes, he was in the German Foreign Service, mm -hmm. and he spent a long time in Paris. And he came back with one statement, which is uh, encapsulates the way the French used to think and behave and still tend to, to some extent, particularly in the higher regions, mm -hmm. um, which is that um, the French are an autistic nation. Mm -hmm. And this was a good example of French autism, you know, the fact that they were not aware of the circumstances in which they were discussing these things. Yeah. And anyway, uh, that, that sort of, uh, that came much later, by which time I'd already been, because I came over to Belgium in 67, and yeah. I had already been um, working in Spain, um, Austria, and Switzerland. Um, so by, evidently by, by the time uh, after the, immediately after the Second World War, I was already attuned to um, cultural things and the differences between culture and was taking an interest. But what actually really gave me the opportunity was that 
Uh, one fine day in uh, 1967, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was working for an organization in the um, public relations and uh, advertising uh, sector, mm -hmm. um, a big company which had getting on for 500 people. And uh, very uh, late in, in the, its development, the company became aware of the fact that uh, apart from London, there was a place also which was part of, for Americans at any rate, was regarded as part of Europe, mm -hmm. uh, which is namely the European continent. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, uh, the chief executives sort of stood, stood up with a start and said, we'd better do something about this. We have to um, have some sort of representation on the continent, on the other side of the English Channel. Yeah. And so you know, they looked around and out of four, 500 people working for this organization, I was the only one who spoke some foreign languages. I had uh, studied uh, Spanish and uh, German mm -hmm. uh, at university. And so um, I got the job. I was pointed in the direction of the continent and told, told to go ahead and build an organization on the continent. Just like um, yeah, well, just like that. I think they gave me uh, something equivalent to, well, at the time it was a thousand pounds a quarter to get the thing going. All right. yeah. And uh, that really was, even in those days, uh, that was not a lot of money. Yeah. And so I started um, up a company here in Brussels um, as a subsidiary of the British organization. Mm -hmm. And then um, we went on to um, establish um, offices all over the continent or over the this the west Western Europe because at the time of course the European the, the European the, sorry the Iron Curtain was still up yeah, yeah. You know, the Berlin Wall was still there mm -hmm. so I um, spent quite a lot of time travelling around uh, Europe um, west, uh, west and east. Um, not east, no, not at that time. Yeah. No, that came much later. And uh, I got get, began to get a feeling for the different cultures of Europe. Yeah. And um, that went on. There's a long story to it, but I, I eventually uh, decided to resign and start my own company. And um, I then developed that company. And we had um, operations basically in just here in, in Brussels. But we used to um, have clients uh, asking for field uh, reports mm. from all over the all over Europe, and that took me out into the into the bled, you know, into the um, the the undergrowth. Um, not necessarily um, spending my time in conference rooms and and uh, hotels in the big cities, but actually going up country, doing um, reports on customers clients' installations um, uh, to, for use in public relations. Yeah. And you were meeting real people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you, were, you, you began at that point to get a real feel for uh, the way um, uh, ordinary people behaved. I was meeting, you know, engineers, um, uh, executives, but mainly um, people from all walks of life mm. in, in many countries of Europe. And that's when I first had my my contact with Eastern Europe because I did assignments, um, one in uh, Hungary and another in in um, Poland. Mm -hmm. And I, I, w I wish at that time that I knew more about those countries and what actually made the Slav cultures different from one another. And that yep. wasn't that wasn't easy um, to determine. And it still is difficult for me to talk about 
the Eastern European cultures. My main um, know-how resides in Western Europe, um, right from top to bottom. And um, that led to my coming up with my first book, which was We Europeans, which came out in uh, 1962. Yeah. What am I saying? 1992. And okay. um, that um, had me, uh, put me on the line, you know, for what, what I was the conclusions that I was drawing from all these years of exposure to foreign cultures. And uh, there were one or two gaps um, up until very close to the end when I put the final manuscript together. I knew very little about, at the time, about Greece and about Finland. Um, I subsequently, uh, before the book came out, I was able to uh, make... uh, good, that lack of Mm -hmm. know-how, by lightning trips uh, to various uh, countries. And then the book came out, We Europeans came out, and um, fortunately it was... um, it would prove to be a great success. Is that in, in that book, We Europeans, is, is there a certain cultural model you use? Or is it, no. is it like academic or is it like uh, anecdotal? Anecdotal. Anecdotal. So, so you're telling the audience, the readers of that book, uh, your personal experience in the, in the say, the outback of, um, of early Western, well, early uh, Western Europe. Yeah. Well, it was not um, so much about the outback. It was about the whole cultures. Yeah. And um, I was um, uh, anecdotal in that I was recording my own experiences in these different countries. Mm. And um, I never had uh, any sort of a model for this. I was just telling things as I found them. But also I had a lot of input from other people who had written books on these individual cultures Mm. in previous years. I've got an enormous library. And I took their experience into account, um, but mainly illustrated it with my own experiences. And that um, proved um, to work because uh, we sold um, with allowing for second-hand copies because the the original books have now run the print runs ran out yep. uh, some time ago now. Um, we certainly sold um, over a hundred thousand copies of We Europeans, so that was That's significant. Huh? A good good, good uh, result, yes, yep. quite significant. And furthermore, we noticed that. Um, Virtually all the um, assistance uh, to the Europe, members of the European Parliament, almost all of them had a copy of this book. It went around the European Parliament like, like you know, like grease lightning. Yeah. Uh, why um, it, it took over, I don't know. I mean, we never managed to get to the bottom of that, but that was the case. And it also went right away through the European Commission, not quite as intensively as the, the Parliament, but it did go through the Commission too. Uh, since when, the Commission has, with one or two exceptions, has steadfastly refused um, to acknowledge the existence of different cultures in Europe. That's awkward, eh? Uh, it is rather, yeah. yeah. Um, it's... Um, it, I mean, I understand why they do it, because they don't want to um, uh, open a, uh, a hornet's nest, but at the same time, and also they don't want to um, in- introduce any sort of element, cultural element, to what is normally a, you know, a flat across the board system of compensation and so on. You know, is, they is, don't that's, is that still the case, you feel, at this moment here in, in 2013? Um in the commission, it's still they still tend to be rather reticent about this sort of thing. I mean, I've done in the past a lot of work with the European Commission, and uh, I know some some the way they think. Uh, they're not too comfortable with that sort of thing. 
um, in, in, as individuals, I think they understand it. There was um, a, mm. German, a German uh, member of the commission, I mean, an employee with the commission, a girl, uh, who said, um, who commented on the fact that uh, um, she had to compensate for the fact that uh, the Italians who worked with her would come in and say, you look beautiful today. And, and she would ju- rationalize it all by saying, oh, well, you have to accept that they're Italian. Yeah. <laughs> ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, but um, overall, no, the commission tends to be rather, um, rather reluctant to, to go into this sort of thing. It doesn't help them. I mean, it's supposed to be, you know, a European organization and not an organization of individual um, cultures. Yeah. Of yeah. course, at the same time, uh, they have to be aware of the fact that the, these cultures are there. And you see the importance that the, uh, the commission, Committee of the Regions has uh, won in the European institutions. Um, and they are sort of, in a way, trying to, I think, avoid, avoid the... Um, the the nation state ment- men- mentality um, it being introduced into the debate mm-hmm. um, by creating this um, this committee of the regions, mm-hmm. which uh, helps to get underneath the national, the um, individual nation state. Yeah, and and with regions, you mean areas like the Basque region in Spain and France, for that's instance. Right. Absolutely, yeah. that's a, that's a key example. Yeah. Yeah, because that's it crosses a border as well. Yeah. I once got involved with a group of government inf- officials from all over Europe in, uh, in uh, discussing uh, the Basque region. And I, I wanted, it's one of the occasions that I regretted that I ever brought it up because um, there was a French person, a Frenchman and a Spanish woman in yeah, the audience. Yeah. And they both sort of attacked the Basque from both sides. But the fact is that the Basques are very important, firstly, because uh, they probably explain the British But also, um, they are the one genetically ident- uh, uniform mm-hmm. um, cultural group in Europe. I mean, they, you, every, I've had a lot of Basques in audiences when I've been on, on my speaking tours, mm-hmm. and they've all, uh, almost without exception, when I ask them who is rhesus negative, they almost all put their hands up, mm-hmm. uh, whereas none of the others do. Uh, they're, they're remarkable people, the Basques. I mean, they are the original Europeans. You're talking about the blood type now. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Um, rhesus negative uh, and also, is it blood group O? I forget. Well, anyway, they're rhesus negative. And, and are, I was going to ask you on rhesus factor. Mine is positive, by the way, so I'm never, yeah. I could never be Basque then. No, no, most of us are not. I, I think mine is positive too, so I'm a long way away from the original Basques. Can, yes? I, can I jump from the, the, the Basques to the Belgians? Yeah. Um, because this is a, a, we both live in Belgium, um, and it's just accidental in a way that we both live in Belgium, and that has yeah. nothing to do with the, the culture and the cultural differences. It's just the locality. Yeah. Uh, you've written a book, uh, The Art of Being Belgian, And Belgian, most of the listeners will be from outside of Europe. That's my uh, my assumption because most mm-hmm. visitors to the website are yeah. from the United States. Ah. Um, and then Belgium, this little tiny country, in somewhere in the on, on Western Europe, underneath the Netherlands and above, right above France, and to the um, the west of Germany and to the east of the UK, tucked away there. What is it? The art of being Belgian. Can, can you describe a little bit what it is? What is it to be Belgian? 
Well, what it is to be Belgian is um, to tend to excuse oneself for being Belgian. Um, they are a very, very um, unassertive people, which in a way is a great quality. Um, they have uh, this art of compromise, which is very, very highly developed. Yeah. They tend to be pragmatic. They do things in response to situations rather, rather than being proactive. Um, and they, they, so they have to wait for the situation to develop to decide what to do. So, of course, there are a lot of uh, comments and complaints by foreigners about the fact that Belgians seem to be so badly organized. But the reason for that is that they're trying to um, find a way around the problem in order to come up with a sensible solution. And they do very, very often. So with this self-effacement also comes um, great potential for creative thinking, for doing things that other people wouldn't expect. Uh, there was a study done by um, one of the Dutch institutions, I think it was uh, Utrecht, um, where they compared the, the Belgian way and other ways of doing business. And one of the conclusions they came, came up with, well, the first conclusion was that Belgians tend to be um, rather tentative in their, and very conservative in their way of uh, approaching business issues. But yeah. on the other hand, um, they were known from time to time to come up with the most extraordinary creative results that nobody else would have thought of, you know, because they have a, mo a more flexible mindset than us British, which is saying quite a lot, yeah. and, and the Dutch, and, of course, the French and the Germans. Yeah. Um, and this is a great quality. I mean, I, I've talked to so many um, executive search consultants who've said to me, if I have uh, the right... If I have the right individual qualities, mm -hmm. um, if I want an international manager, a manager for international business, I will always choose a Belgian. Because of, of his ability to compromise. Yes, and yeah. to not impose his own culture on anybody else. Right. Yeah, non-assertive, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, no, in, in the Netherlands, the, sorry to interrupt, in, in the yeah. Netherlands or the Dutch are pretty well known to be uh, very consensus oriented. And I know the Belgians are very, are pretty well known to be very compromise oriented yeah that's right what what Sorry. is the difference well i think it's at, at the times uh, in as much as consensus is uh, is um, a dutch quality which is reflected or reflects i think the manner in which the dutch culture emerged you know from all that water and so on i mean yeah. there is a an understanding that you have to do things in a certain way in order to combat nature Mm -hmm. and, and, and to cope with the, reality, the, the things in life. And that becomes a principle, and it's instilled in, it's, it's there in all the D Dutch institutions. Yep. Now, in Belgium, it doesn't happen that fast. They don't have a predetermined uh, analysis or assessment mm -hmm. of what needs to be done. They wait until the, the problem is in confronting them, and then they look at the circumstances, and then they make their decisions. Right, and then they compromise. And then and they compromise. I mean, they, they, they do compromise. I mean, basically, they're, they're very, I find, very thoughtful at the level of the individual. They're very thoughtful and very concerned um, people. Mm -hmm. um, they have great human qualities. I mean, it took me a long time to find these things out. I've been living in this country now for nearly 50 years. Mm -hmm. And um, it only became, this really only became, I was aware of the nature of of um, compromise, mm -hmm. Belgian compromise and Belgian self-effacement a long time ago. But then uh, more recently, perhaps because I'm older now and occasionally I sort of stumble in the street, yeah. <laughs> there, there's always somebody there to help you up. Yeah. 
Always. There's, there's a, one of my earlier um, teachers uh, in the field of, of intercultural management and, and, and about culture matters and stuff told me once that the Belgians and, and the Flemish, which are the Dutch-speaking <laughs> Belgians, are actually Dutch-speaking Latinos. Would you agree with that? Um, I think that the, I mean, the, the whole problem of the, uh, what would be the word, the uh, cultural split in Belgium mm-hmm. is a linguistic one. It has nothing whatever to do with genes. Um, there are, seem to be uh, lots of Celtic genes, um, more in uh, what in the area in the south called Wallonia mm-hmm. than in the north in Flanders. Yeah. But um, the Flemish culture also um, is, while being essentially... Uh, Frank, Frankish, yeah. from the Frankish tribes that eventually gave their name to France. Yeah. Uh, I mean, European history is very complicated. Yes, it is. I can only go that far back. <laughs> um, but the, the Flemish also, they, they're a mixture of, um, of ge- genetically a mixture, but it is um, their cultural history and their language, I think, which is the, um, the core of their attitude towards the other Belgians. Um, I did uh, at one stage uh, do a um, a a series of lectures for the schools in the German uh, cantons Mm -hmm. of the east. In the east of the country, because there's three regions in Belgium, maybe even four. (laughs) That's right. Um, If you include include the international community, is that what you're thinking of, the fourth one? Oh, well, I'm thinking about Flanders, uh, the French, the Dutch speaking, the French speaking, the German speaking. You got Brussels as an as an area, oh, and, then you, and right. then you might actually consider all the uh, yeah. the, the non Belgians, the influx yeah. of of uh, other Europeans in Belgium. That's right. Something is going to happen one of these days in in, in terms of Brussels because Brussels is the jewel in the crown, yep. and it's becoming richer and richer and more and more influential in international affairs. And I I run um, I I am the editor of a website called Capital life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Belgian website and it's um, talking about things around essentially around Brussels but also Belgium generally and talking about business issues in particular and they uh, that um, that has um, recently brought me into all sorts of um, into sorts of areas uh, that I hadn't um, had anything to do with before and one of them is that um, uh, there's going to have to be very very shortly some sort of a a political reorganization um, of the capital of Belgium and Europe, mm-hmm. Brussels, mm-hmm. because it can't go on like this because uh, right now it's still a mix of old communes and um, re- dated institutions. I'm not talking about the European institutions no. now, which really don't face, don't face up to the reality of the, of the changing nature of this, this community, which is yeah. getting bigger and bigger fast. Yep. And it's becoming wealthier and wealthier, and which has an enormous uh, multinational content. So that's true, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's there a lot of uh, uh, topics. I think we can we can carry on for for even more than half an yes. hour, forty five minutes. Um, there are a couple of questions that I um, uh, from the discussion so far have written down. Earlier in the conversation, you spoke about culture. Cultures are regions. Yes. Um, rather than countries. And yeah. then you also mentioned something like um, 
gender, religion, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, layered. In other words, can oh, absolutely. What what mm. comes first? Can you? Is there like like a beginning? A chicken and the egg. Is there a beginning? Oh, I think so. Yes, um, I would say the beginning is some environment. Mm. I mean, you as a Dutch national, you should, must must be very aware of this in the in the history of your country uh, and the nature of the, the water. The country's you mean. Yeah, the water. Yes, yeah. the water, and um, you know, just generally. Inclement environmental yeah. water, uh, water in, uh, over your feet or under your feet, water coming in over the over the dikes, water coming out of the sky. Absolutely, um, all these things. They, the environment has a lot to do with um, the um, emergence of a culture. The, one of the diff- one of the things that contributed to the fact that the the Ulstermen, the Northern Irish, are have seemed to have a different mentality from the Southern Irish. Uh, it's not just the fact that the um, the what did they call themselves colonists? Uh, they called themselves the planters yeah. in Northern Ireland came originally from Scotland. Mm-hmm. They um, they uh, settled, uh, moved over, and settled in Northern Ireland um, three or four hundred years ago. Um, but there is another reason um, that there is this difference in culture, and it is a thing called the Drumlins. Mm-hmm. You have the Drumlins in various parts of the world, um, including the United States. They are small, rounded hills which um, were shaped by receding ice cap. Mm-hmm going northwards. And uh, these uh, hills um, do have an impact on the climate. Um, The climate south of the Drumlins in Northern Ireland is much um, softer, uh, much more um, accommodating than than in Northern Ireland. And this has led to a a difference in the culture and the mentality of the people, which I think is understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean... The, 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 one of the problems that I have with them, um, or maybe I should say one of the opportunities I have with um, uh, culture as it, as it expresses itself in the European communities is um, that uh, they, they, they contain far too many myths and far too many f- literally false ideas. Historical uh, which, myths. Yeah, historical myths in yeah. particular. Uh, and Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland is certainly one of those. Mm. Um, another one that has really um, uh, interested me is Cyprus. Um, the, there is an enormous amount of myth-making in Cyprus. And you know that they're now having to elect a new president. And uh, yeah. the, the situation in vis-à-vis the European Commission can't be resolved because the people in the Greek-speaking part of the island, the southern half, um, are now members of the European community. Um, And the um, people in the north, the Turkish-speaking people, are not. Now, there have been so many mistakes made um, by by Cypriot politicians and supported wholeheartedly by the public. Um, They have this idea that Cyprus, you know, is naturally a Greek island Hmm. and that the Greeks are genetically, sorry, the Cypriot Greeks are genetically related to the mainland Greeks. Mm -hmm. Well, frankly, this is not a very good idea for a start because according to the people in, in, um, ah, what am I trying to say? No, the, the island further south, south of Cyprus, that is Greek. Um, Crete? 
Crete, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was talking to a Cretan about this because I've been to Crete on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. And he told me that um, uh, the, the, the Greeks in mainland Greece were not in any way related to the ancient Greeks. They were either on the west coast of the peninsula, they were basically Albanians, and on the east coast of the peninsula, they were basically Slavs. And um, so that sort of immediately throws into question the whole attitude of of, of the Cyprus community with regard to the rest of the world. Um, But they they don't even understand, understand themselves because... Again, um, a study was done by a professor, um, oh, never mind, a British (laughs) professor um, who decided to um, look at the genetic um, structure of the Greek, uh, Cypriot Greeks, Mm -hmm. and the Cypriot Turks. And he came out with a, a conclusion, which was not only did they, were they the same people, but the Greek-speaking Cypriots yeah. had absolutely no genetic links with the people in the mainland. Right. And that, that upset the people he told this to. He told it to a number of Greek Cypriot monks, and they, they did, threw up their hands in horror and didn't want to believe him. But if you go back and look at history, Cyprus was, in fact, um, converted to Islam, or many Cypriots were converted to Islam mm-hmm. under the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. And the Ottoman Empire um, would um, only allow people who didn't convert to Islam um, had to pay taxes. The ones who did, didn't have to. And people who weren't converted to Islam were not allowed to ride on horses. They could only ride on donkeys. And apparently at that time in that culture, this was a rather important thing. So a lot of the Cypriots who were the same people as the people who ultimately went on to speak Greek or were already speaking Greek, um, they um, decided to um, convert to Islam and they took over the language as well as the religion. So they are the same people. But we have this, now we've got this island today, which is split into two, and nobody knows in the commission what the hell to do about it. Because Germany and France, for some strange reason that I don't understand, don't want Turkey to become a member of the European community. And I think it would be the most important thing that anybody could do would be to get Turkey into the European community. They they are a bridge to the Middle East, and they are very fine people. I've been working recently a lot with Turks. Yeah. And um, I'm very impressed with, with generally with the, okay. the intelligence, the education, the culture. I mean, you can change cultures. You just have to have a better educational system, you know, and make it accessible to people. That's an, Sorry, that's I, an interesting approach. No, I, I, I appreciate your uh, your take on things. I, I don't fully agree with everything that you that you say there, but that's 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 part of uh, of the of the growing and the growing insight with that as well. Yeah. Um, well, uh, to yeah. me, what is very important is um, to understand uh, culture. You have to first of all understand the environment mm-hmm. as it is supposed to have been at the time that it evolved. Secondly, you have to understand the history and challenge a lot of what you're told about in the history books yeah and and the third thing is to um understand what institutions emerge from these cultures because the institutions themselves um often sort of seal the the culture for example um i think it is um for no i think it's 80 percent of Um, senior officials working in government institutions in Germany have law degrees. Mm-hmm. The figure in Britain is 3%. Yeah. 
Now, this is because of historical influences, you know, in the institutions, in the educational establishments and so on, that they have become like that. Now, this, now it's like flies caught in amber. You have these situations and, um, you know, you just have to live with them because you've got 80% of German public, act, public decisions are made by people who are legalistic in mentality yeah. because they are lawyers. Yeah. And, of course, this, something should be done about this. If the European Union wants to, to break this thing open and have a, a wonderful cultural mishmash, they should indeed be looking at the educational institutions and what the legacy that they are leaving right now. You know, the British have the pro have a problem that they they don't take a lot of things very seriously. They're quite good at litigation, but uh, you know, the the British have this culture of the amateur, which is still around, yeah. which evolved in the after the Victorian era. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I have to, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the clock as well, Richard. And yeah. it's, it's fascinating to hear your, um, your, 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 for me, total uh, new and different take on how cultures have evolved and, and explaining why cultures are as they currently are, uh, taking um, a view from the past and pulling that into the present. Okay. Um, that's, I think it's very fascinating. And, and I'm, I'm sure the, uh, the audience will, will love this as well. Is, are, there, are you currently working on a book? Because you've written a number of books. Are you currently writing something? Um, I'm not writing anything at the moment. I'm too busy with this website and other things. Um, but I did um, produce um, a document, which I'm not particularly proud of. It was an attempt to look at the whole issue of identity today, okay. which seems to me to be becoming very important. I mean, clearly, there are different approaches to identity. The, the people of my generation used to think of identity in terms of um, nationality. Yeah. Um, professional activity, um, origins, um, personal origins, local communities that one was associated with and so on. And um, that is obviously no longer the case. Generation Y uses the internet, yep. the social media, and that, that provides an identity. You can create an identity for yourself through the social media mm -hmm. very, very easily. You know, you can set up your own blog, you can set up your own website, whatever. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that the, there is a, um, a split developing. And the question is, where is this leading? You know, and because that is a problem. And in, I do some work on in the management consultancy field. Mm -hmm. And I find that um, the, the big concern today of big business, at any rate, is how to integrate Generation Y and Z, eventually, mm. um, into um, a baby boomer organization yeah. Yeah. and culture. Yeah. Um, they are completely different. And a lot of people seem to be rather frightened that this is going to get out of hand. You know, there's going to be a clash between the generations. Um, but we have to see. I don't know whether it can come out like that. Time, time will tell eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, I, it's, I, I still have to look at that at the time, Richard, again. And I, yeah. if, I, if, if you're okay with that, are there like yeah, two, yeah. two questions that I'd like to ask you? Um, uh, the first question I want to ask you, give us some, some parting words of wisdom. Um, if you can give the audience like three cultural tips when dealing with another culture. Three simple tips. What would you do dealing with another culture to to bridge that gap of cultural differences? 
Well, I wouldn't for a start um, uh, allow people to criticize stereotypes mm-hmm. um, because creating a stereotype or agreeing with a stereotype is on the road to a cultural understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people be very critical of me. There are not many, but that has happened, mm. who have said that I'm creating stereotypes. That's why I use the anecdotal approach and, yeah. um, and bring in all sorts of other authorities to help me support what I'm saying. And um, generally, um, I mean, I, I had no problem with that. But Although I did on one occasion, if I can come out of a – I was at the um, – oh. Well, never mind. Farnham Castle—it's a center, cultural center in the UK. Yeah. And I gave a—I gave a talk there. Was, we had a day when I was the guest speaker, and afterwards, a woman came up to me and started haranguing me for pre- creating or per- perpetuating mm-hmm. stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And the curious thing about it was this is a German woman um, who was apparently living with her husband in in the UK, and she, her name was. Um, Mrs. Krauthammer, Krauthammer. Yeah. Now, <laughs> that is absolutely unbelievable in, in the context of the conversation we were having. And I had to resist the, the temptation to point out that what her name meant to the average English person. She probably <laughs> knew. Uh, anyway, there was that. Um, so I don't, I will not tolerate people who dismiss stereotypes. They do have a use. They're a halfway house, but you have to get beyond that. Uh, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, I think that uh, there should be more emphasis on what I think is called emic approach to languages rather than etic. Uh, these days I find too much uh, talking about models and things like that. Yeah. I think the only way to properly understand individual cultures is to go under the skin of the culture, which is the emic approach, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I try to do in my books. And... Um, I think from the success I've had with these books that um, a lot of people do agree with me. Um, people are not that interested in models and there are masses of them around. I mean, one has to accept the fact that um, um, Hofstede and Hall mm. made an enormous contribution to – I've worked with both of them. <laughs> I, I went to a, 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 a conference in Germany mm-hmm. where I met Edward Hall for the first time. And he got back to the States and he then sent me an email. Um, and his question was, can you tell me something about this guy Hofstede? Um, is he high context or low context? Now, he was using, Hall was using his dimensions, if you like, of course, yeah. in order to try and pigeonhole, yeah. pigeonhole Hofstede. You know, you just didn't, shouldn't do that sort of thing. But there was, there was this dear man, Edward Hall, um, saying precisely that. I have the email somewhere still in my in my computer. Yeah. Um, so that's the second thing. The third thing I would say is um, that it is very important not just to look at the culture as you see it. Yeah. Um, but to go back and understand where it's coming from, that brings me back to this question of understanding the environment, which mm-hmm. may have had an effect on the culture, mm-hmm. uh, understand the history of the culture, identify the heroes, identify the myths, and know which ones are valid and which ones are not. You know, mm-hmm. and So there you have it, I think. Excellent. Wonderful. So the three tips from Richard Hill there. And then finally, Richard, if I can ask you, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more about you and about the work that you do and have done? Well, I don't have a website at the moment. Um, I think the best thing is to um, either send me an email Mm -hmm. to richard at 
MinkaHill.com. MinkaHill is spelt, spelt M-I-N-K-E-H-I-L-L. M-I-N-K-E-H-E-L-L. I'll put that up in the show notes. Okay. Okay, fine. And um, otherwise, um, call me on Brussels, which is 2 Three four three seven seven two six. So from outside Europe, it's um, what zero zero two three four three seven seven two six. And um, I have an e- an, a, a cell phone which is oh four seven oh three oh five six seven seven. Or outside Europe, it would be what zero zero three two four seven oh three oh five six seven seven. Wonderful. All right, I'll put all these uh, these details in the show notes, and yep. um, so people can can get in touch with you if they would like to. And otherwise, um, some of the books of um, uh, from Richard are still available on Amazon. I'm looking here at the Art of Being Belgian. Um, and like you said, Richard, there are they're no longer in um, uh, press anymore. Mm. But you have to be really fast because I see only nine used. <laughs> for the yeah, end, there's nine people are and it's on, on Amazon.com. So uh, I'll put a link to uh, uh, the number of uh, a number of books that I can find on Amazon that you've written, Richard, also in the show notes, so people yes. can get them there okay. as well. Thank you. I'd just like to say that Amazon um, is. Uh, uh, has been offering uh, we Europeans for some time, and in in the uh, used copies section, yeah. um, they're generally priced at something like uh, three to four times what they were sold were originally sold for. It looks like but it, the, yeah. Yeah, but the curious thing is, there's one copy in that offer, or there was some time ago. Maybe it's not there any longer, mm. uh, which was um, priced at only two or three um, euro or two or three dollars, probably. Yeah. And uh, that one was signed by the author. <laughs> oh, interesting. So that, so, okay. so that put me in my place. <laughs> so, well, you know, that'll be on. a collector's item for sure. Yeah. In any okay. Case. Yeah. All right. Richard, thank you so much for all your stories, your insight, um, and sharing that with the audience. I'm sure people will love the stories and the insights that you've, uh, that you've just given us in the, what is the last 45 minutes or so. Thank you. And Chris, uh, I would like to thank you for uh, tolerating what I said, and I would love you to tell me offline later on uh, where you disagree. It might help both of us. I will certainly do so. All right. Thank you so much. Welcome. Bye. Bye. I hope you like this interview with Richard Hill, the many stories he shared with us and uh, his interesting takes on cultural differences and the fact that culture indeed matters. If you did like this interview, then I would really, really appreciate it if you would go to the iTunes store and um, other than uh, listening to the podcast, of course, also give me a rating and that would really help if you can give it a high rating that would bump up the rankings. Uh, significantly so thanks so much if you would do that and finally i want to point you towards the uh, ebook that i've written you can find more information all about the ebook at culturematters.com slash ebook we'll be back in two weeks time thank you bye that's it for this episode the culture matters podcast helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences